invite you to turn with you to your Bibles. I want to read several short passages this afternoon. First of all, I want to read from Psalm 16, the verses 7 through to the end of verse 11. Psalm 16. follows. This is God's word. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then would you turn with me to 1 Peter 1, the verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter 1. The verses 3 through to the end of verse 9. And we continue to hear God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy and inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls. And then Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, the verses 1 through the end of verse 8. Mark 16. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was a very large stone. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And then finally for our text, Matthew 28. 
Matthew 28, the verses 2, 3, and 4. Matthew 28, beginning to read verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this afternoon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Bowmanville with me this afternoon. As we are called to listen again this afternoon to the glorious account of the resurrection of our Lord, we are reminded again that there was no one in or at the tomb to witness the actual resurrection. Oh, we hear much of the empty grave and we hear of the events surrounding it, but the actual resurrection, on the actual resurrection, the scriptures are silent. And as we read our Bibles of all that surrounded that miracle, the four evangelists have in different words given us simply the fact of the, resurre- of the resurrection. And that fact of the resurrection became the basis and the foundation for all of their gospel preaching. There was no doubt in their mind that the event had taken place, but none of them wrote of the actual resurrection because no one had been there to witness it. How different the account of his birth in Bethlehem. How different of his ascension into heaven. How different at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. All those occasions, the facts were all recorded by actual witnesses of the actual event. And the events are given us in all of its glorious detail, but not so of the resurrection. The fact and the reality of the resurrection of our Lord was an event that would need to be believed in faith. In fact, the resurrection of Christ would become a reality that would need to become visible through witnessing the lives of those who would become radically different people as fruit of the resurrection. The fact of his resurrection would become so clear by witnessing the results of the resurrection that it would not be necessary to confirm by eyewitnesses and earwitnesses. Oh, it is indeed true that the resurrected Lord was seen by many after the fact to the strengthening of their faith. At one time, he revealed himself to 500 people at one time. But the, but the reality of his resurrection would become so evident in the world that the recording of the event in Scripture would not even be necessary. It would be seen. It would be seen in the world and it would be believed in faith as the basis for all gospel preaching forever. And it is now for that reason that we see the world being confused about the Easter celebration. You see, at Christmas time, the world sings the Christmas carols with you. The world brings out all of her decorations with you. And the world marches out her nativity scenes, and the world tries to imitate the celebration of the church in her own way. But Easter, that's something much different. Well, the world wants to celebrate Easter, But the world will do it so much differently for the world has absolutely no concept of the resurrection of the Son of God. But the congregation gathered by Christ by way of the resurrection is not hindered by the fact that the actual resurrection is not recorded. No, the church of Christ 
reads the gospel with believing hearts, and through the eyes of her faith, she finds there in every word the resurrected Lord. And so to this afternoon, the words of our text, they say nothing of the actual resurrection. And yet those same words proclaim the glory of the resurrection. And so I want to administer God's word to you this, on this glorious Easter afternoon, using as my theme, the glory of the resurrection. And we will see from our text, first of all, heaven witnessing to the resurrection. Then we want to see the earth witnessing to the resurrection. And then finally, we want to see man's witness to the resurrection. So the glory of the resurrection, heaven's witness, earth's witness, and man's witness to it. Congregation, great and marvelous things took place there on that first Easter morning as the, as the women made their way to prepare the dead body of their Lord. We read of an earthquake. Perhaps it was noticed by the women, we don't know. We do not know. We read of an angel descending out of heaven to roll away the heavy stone sealing the tomb. And, and when we carefully examine the text, then it would seem that there exists a certain connection or a relationship between the angel and the earthquake. For we read, and behold, there was an earthquake. For, yeah, why? Because an angel of the Lord descended. What becomes evident in this now is that the events being sent from heaven and the events on earth have something to do with the resurrection of Christ and, and stand in direct relationship to that resurrection. The coming of the angel is accompanied by an earthquake, not because the angel causes an earthquake, but because the angel and the earthquake both are related to the event of the resurrection. Christ arises from the dead and God the Father sends a heavenly being to serve him. We need to understand that for a moment. When we say that God sent an angel to serve Jesus, that's not to say that Jesus needed help. We may not interpret the task of the angel in that way, for after all, Christ did not need an angel to roll a stone away. Christ could have done that himself without even moving a muscle. And yet we see that the glory of the resurrection is attended by, intended to, by heavenly servants. And a Bible-believing Christian finds nothing strange in that. In fact, we've come to expect heavenly beings. Each time a special operation of God's grace to the world is revealed. After all, that is also the particular task of angels. They exist simply to hear the word of God and to respond and to obey him in the service of God's plan of redemption of the world. And not only is that their task, that's also their only desire. And God sends them as his representatives in his name and in his service. And we're all familiar with such particular circumstances throughout salvation history. This was not the first time that it was made known that heaven was intimately involved with the events on earth. Think with me of Jesus' baptism there too. The heavens were opened and a voice was heard from heaven. Think with me also of the fields of Ephrata where legions of angels were seen and heard. And now again on this Easter morning, a significant event of momentous consequences was occurring on earth, and it was accompanied by an angel of God. But this angel now was sent to serve the king. Follow with me. Jesus had died as a man, in the place of a man. But he had risen in majesty as king of kings and lord of lords. And now God sends an angel to serve the king. The king himself will not remove the stone. No, it will be done for him by his servant. That was not the work of kings. That was the work of slaves in the service of the king. And so it would be here. 
But there was more. When we read carefully, then we find here in our text the glorious revelation of the resurrection, and then we see that the angel comes in his appointed position as the herald of the king of kings. And we read that his countenance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And that begins to make sense now. Oh, we have seen in scripture angels many times and in many different forms. But here we see him in all of his majestic glory. A face like lightning and garments like pure snow. And that begins to make sense now in this context. For we know that all of this must be connected to that glorious event of the resurrection. You see, Christ was risen from the grave, and he had risen as him who had overcome death and had overcome hell. In other words, in other words he rises up in glory. Oh, not as Lazarus, not as a, a temporary resurrection, only to die again later. No, now Christ, in his resurrection, has left behind his servant nature. That nature was necessary for his suffering humanity. But all of that now had been conquered in the resurrection, and, and he arises in majesty as a king of kings. We read an angel seated on the stone. His posture there also has significance. You see, he who rules is seated. Judges sit on the bench. Kings are seated on thrones. And the angel sits on the stone in testimony to Christ's power over death and hell. The angel sits on the stone and indicates that the grave can never be sealed again. The angel seizes the stone, sits on it, and thereby teaches us that no human power can ever again roll the stone to, to close the graves of mankind. Christ has won that victory in the resurrection. The grave is open, will remain open, as long as the angel God is in possession of the stone. People of God, begin to capture this with me in all the glorious wealth for you and for me in this, in this glorious involvement of, of heaven as demonstrated by the angel being present at the resurrection. And, and two thoughts, I think, need to be captured by us here for our comfort and for our, our edification. First of all, in, in seeing the angel of the Lord sitting on the stone, we are reminded that in his resurrection, Christ has conquered death and hell in order to grant to his own his own righteousness and that therefore death and hell can hold no terror for us. And that, that is now what we're called to see, first of all, when we envision that angel of the Lord sitting on the stone that had earlier sealed the grave of our Lord. It images, it portrays for us, it images for us that through his suffering and death, Christ has fully paid for all our sin. And also now we may know that death, death is no longer in payment for sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Death has been overcome in the death and the resurrection of Christ. But an equally important thought needs to be captured here as well. We read here that God sent an angel from heaven to reveal or to make known the resurrection of Christ. And that also is significant. He is the one that tells the women, he is not here, he is risen. He makes it known, he makes the resurrection known. And that's significant for us, for you see, the fact that God himself sends from heaven one of his holy angels to announce the resurrection of Christ is confirmation that God has accepted the sacrifice of Christ on the cross in our stead. Here in the announcement from God, 
we hear answer to Christ's own cry from the cross. In his deepest agony, we heard our Lord crying out, It is finished. And in response, God sends his angel to serve the risen king as evidence, as confirmation that the claims of God's justice toward man has been met in Christ. In other words, in other words, Christ cried out, it is finished. And God answered by saying, amen. And he sends his angel in confirmation. The father recognizes his son as king. All authority in heaven and earth is now his. He has met and fully satisfied the claims of God's justice against the sin of the world. And consequently, not only do we now have free access to God's throne of prayer, but we may now plead on and appeal to the finished redemptive work of Christ. And so as we see heavenly involvement in the resurrection announcement, then we understand that it was not necessary for us to know the exact particulars of that event. The fact of the resurrection stands eternal. The angel of the Lord sent by God and seen sitting on the stone confirms for us that Jesus has been resurrected in glory. The heavenly heralds announced his victory over the grave. It says the psalmist wrote, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word. But above all, bless the Lord, O my soul, for the glory of the resurrection. But even more marvelous things occurred at the resurrection of our Lord. We read of an earthquake. And as we've said earlier, the quake was not necessarily caused by the angel. However, the earthquake does stand in close connection to the appearance of the angel. And we need to see all of these miraculous events as standing in direct relationship to the resurrection of Christ. And that thought does not surprise a Bible-believing Christian each time throughout salvation history when a significant event in God's work of grace occurred the earth the earth itself responded we think for instance of mount sinai when god claimed his covenant people as his own and he sets the law before them you know the story and then we saw that the mountain was enshrouded in smoke and the mountains shook on its very foundations and when Christ suffered the hellish agony, or hellish ag anguish to, to deliver his people from the chains of death, then too, rocks were shattered, the earth moved, and graves gave up their dead. And so it does not surprise us that when the earth gives up the Son of God from the dead, that the earth itself would move. Oh, we could give more of these miraculous incidents throughout salvation history. But what we want to capture here is that all too often, we speak of the redemptive work of Christ affecting only the souls of men and women. That's what it's all about, we say. But much more is involved in the deliverance earned by Christ on the cross and in the grave. First of all, as we confess in Lord's Day 1, Christ, with his blood, has bought not only our souls, but also our bodies belong to him. Also, our bodies were redeemed and saved through his atonement. But also, as we read in Genesis chapter 3, even the earth was cursed by God as a result of man's sin. But in Romans chapter 8, we read that although now, after the fall, now the whole creation groans and labors, waiting to be delivered. We read also that the earth as well will be delivered from corruption through the redemptive work of Christ. In other words, then, creation itself, people got creation itself 
will also participate in man's restoration. Nature's destiny, then, is intimately linked with that of the sons of God. And that's why the creation itself is given us, as, in Romans 8, as, as craning its neck, if you will, straining, craning its neck, if you will, waiting to be delivered from corruption along with the sons of God. Follow this with me for a moment. If we read Second Peter 3 and Revelation 21, then we learn that the creation will be purged and rejuvenated. In other words, the final ball of flame will not destroy the universe. It will still be the same heaven and earth, but it will be gloriously renewed and cleansed by purifying fire. And this wonderful cleansing and purging will include harmonization. You see, at at present, peace and harmony escapes the creation because of the fall. Various organisms seem to be working at cross-purposes, but all of that will be removed, and in the fullness of time, the total effect of Christ's redemptive work will be that unity and harmony will fill all of the new heaven and the new earth. That now is the meaning of the prophecy of Isaiah 11, when he writes that the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the cow and the bear will graze, and the nursing child will play near the den of a cobra, and the child will put his hand in the viper's nest, and they will not destroy, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. All people of God, in that context now, do you understand why even the earth, the creation itself, responds when the Son of God arises from the grave, not only have the sons of God waited for the deliverance of their bodies and souls from the clutches of death, but even the creation itself, having been subjected to corruption because of man's sin, also the earth has eagerly awaited this great day, and the earth itself responds by shaking her foundations in the form of an earthquake. Make sense? Try to capture this with me for a moment. We live on a planet that has been cursed because of sin. We live in a created world where the forces of nature constantly threaten us. Think with me of floods and earthquakes, volcanoes and and, and tsunamis and other catastrophes. Constantly, men and women the world over live in constant danger from the uncontrollable forces of nature. But now we learn that Christ is the mediator not only of the souls of men and women, but also of the whole creation itself. All of creation has been placed under his feet as consequence of his death and resurrection. And so the creation itself shares with us in the consequences of the resurrected power of the Lord. That means then, that means then that although these catastrophes of nature still threaten and surround us, the redeemed sons of God sees them and knows that because of the resurrection, because of Easter, these violent acts of nature speak of condemnation and judgment for those who are far from God. But for the child of God, these acts of nature no longer hold the same terror. For the creation itself has been given as a footstool for our resurrected Lord who rose from the grave on Easter morning. Oh, the people of God then, are no longer simply pawns or victims of disaster. For, for, for over the noise of the howling winds and the hurricanes, the child of God hears and sees the resurrected Lord at work, redeeming body, redeeming souls, 
redeeming all of creation. People God does it then yet surprise you that even the earth itself responds by shaking her foundation when it sees the Redeemer rising up from the bowels of the ground. And so then, first of all, we've seen heaven's response to the resurrection in the form of an angel. And then we saw earth's response to the resurrection in the form of an earthquake. But still more is given us to know here in our text. We see also the man's response to the resurrection. We read, And the guards shook for fear of him and became as dead men. Heaven has spoken of the resurrection of our Lord. Creation echoed her voice. But now we hear also the witness of man. But what we need to capture here is what we need to capture in this text is not the voice of the sons of God, but we hear the sons of the world. The children of God were on their way to demonstrate their love to their Lord. They sought a dead man in the grave, but in amazement, we will see that the sons of the world will be used by God to testify to the truth of the glorious resurrection of Christ on the first Easter morning. You know the story. Roman soldiers have been assigned to their post at guarding the tomb. Strong men, having no fear, were appointed to stand guard. Their only true fear was their superior, the man who sat on the throne in Rome and whose word was their law. They knew their responsibility. They had their orders. They knew their obligation. And they stand watch. And the earth begins to shake. Their confidence is not yet shaken. They had experienced such phenomena before in all likelihood. Besides, besides the Roman authorities would never accept an earthquake as a valid reason to abandon their post. In other, words, in other words, the witness from the earth does not yet phase them, but the heavenly witness disturbs and frightens them. Their earthly power and confidence is stripped away at the appearance of an angel. We capture a note of holy irony here. The angel's appearance, we read, was as lightning, and when seen by the soldiers, we read that they became as men struck by lightning. Ah, oh, we see here again God marvelously, sovereignly using these soldiers to further witness to and confirm the resurrection. Capture this with me. In Bethlehem, in the stall, the king of Israel is born, but the earthly throne is occupied by Caesar Augustus. He has the earthly authority that belongs to Christ. He commands that all the land will be recorded, each in his own town. And unknowingly, he is used by God to cause the Christ to be born in Bethlehem in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. Oh, indeed, Augustus ruled, and his voice was law. But now here at the grave, at the grave, the king of all glory has arisen, and the soldiers of the earthly king are scattered. They abandon their post at the voice of the Lord in a form of an angel, and the seal placed on the grave by the authority of the Roman world is opened by heaven. For the world, the world has lost her power. The world has lost its authority when the bars of death were burst on Easter morning. Now the King of Kings is Lord over all. All earthly power has been brought to naught, and all of it through the power of the glorious resurrection of our Lord. The powers of earth determined to keep Israel's king in the grave, but no earthly power was able to resist the power of God in raising Jesus from the dead. And people got that now 
is what the Holy Spirit of God would have us learn from the text of this afternoon. God calls us to live out of the power of the glorious resurrection. God's angel, along with the creation itself, testified to the fact of the risen Redeemer. The soldiers fled from the grave. They abandoned their allegiance to earthly power when confronted by heavenly power. The angel of God still sits on the throne, demonstrating that the power of God ensures that death can no longer hold its prey. And it is in that conviction that the Lord calls us again this afternoon to live our lives here on this earth. Do we do that? Do we evidence the power of the resurrection from day to day? People of God, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then we have believed in vain, then we are still in our sin, and then the prince of darkness is still our master and our king. But if we have been to the open tomb again this afternoon, if we have seen and heard the testimony of God again, then our lives must begin to take on a different color. The world threatens to consume us, but the stone has been rolled away. The angel of God sits upon it, despite the power of the world. Creation itself shakes on our very foundations in eager anticipation of our own deliverance from the bondage of corruption. Should all of this glorious news surrounding the resurrection, should it not also affect our own hearts? Should God's people not rejoice in that glorious resurrection? Do we not understand that the powers of sin and death have been defeated? The mighty Roman soldier became as dead men. The world is powerless against the power of the resurrection. In faith, in faith, we may now know that death, the grave, and hell holds no more terror for those who share in the resurrection power. That's the experience of every true child of God. It can be no other way. For Christ and all his benefits are promised and given to every child of God. Congregation, is it not so that often we live so far from heaven's power granted us through Easter? Is it not so that often the strength of our faith is so weak and feeble? Is it not so that we can often be so discouraged as we walk this road called life? Where then is the confidence of our faith? Is it not so that because of Easter we are more than conquerors already now? Let us then live the Easter life through the power of Easter granted us in the resurrection of our Lord. In that faith, people God, in that faith we may live this life with confidence Oh, that does not necessarily mean that the world will not oppress us and distress us. It's very likely that the world will, in fact, even persecute us, and we're starting to see some of that even in this country. It's even possible that we will be led like sheep to the slaughter at the hands of the world because of the world's hatred of the undeniable resurrection. But, but, but it is in especially in times of great distress that we see the joy of the resurrection for then, even when staring death in the face, we see the open tomb. We see the angel sitting on the stone. 
and then our hearts are overwhelmed with the knowledge that death no longer is the stronger. Christ has risen from his prison. Son of God, our Lord and King, praise the Spirit through Christ's merit. He doth us salvation bring. My dear people, what we need to sense here is that all of the Easter proclamation points to the need of God's people to rejoice in that glorious resurrection. The glory of Christ's victory over death was demonstrated in the events that surrounded the tomb on that first glorious Easter. This world will not remain a veil of tears. Creation will be delivered and renewed to the praise of her creator. The portals of death and hell have been forever sealed shut for us. For see, the angel rolled the stone away and sits on it. Heaven and earth shall unitedly sing God's praises for all eternity. The guards became as dead men. They fled from the awful majesty of God demonstrated at the grave of his son. Rightly so. No earthly power can withstand the power of God. At worst, they can only destroy the body. But even that holds no fear for us because, because, because a glorious future awaits us. Oh, that future, it may well be through raging storms and deep, dark waters, but Jesus lives and Jesus reigns because of Easter and because of his glorious resurrection you and I will rise as well to praise his name forever.